morning, Medical Education Podcast listeners. It's 8.10 for me, a gloomy day in Vancouver, and I'm uh, recording this podcast with Sandra Nicholson, who's a general practitioner and, more importantly for our current purposes, a reader in medical education at Barts and the London. Sandra is formerly Associate Dean for Admissions at that institution, and I've asked her to speak with me today about a paper that's going to be published in the March issue of the journal entitled Reasons Selectors Give for Accepting and Rejecting Medical Applicants Before Interview. Thanks for chatting with me, Sandra. You're very welcome, Kevin, and good morning. Good morning. I'm absolutely certain that in your former position as Associate Dean Admissions, there were any number of issues that came up that you would have enjoyed, and I know you have studied many of them. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what prompted you this particular direction? I think admissions, certainly into medical and dental school in the UK, is under scrutiny at the moment. Um, The last two years, I would say, several research papers have been published looking at the tools admissions offices use to select candidates for medicine and dentistry. I know we're specifically talking about medicine today, and sport has been traditionally used to select um, candidates onto medical undergraduate courses, has been their academic qualifications. And I think the academic staff, as well as the administrative staff that operate these procedures, are concerned that this is no longer sufficient. And what my paper did alongside my co-author, Rebecca Turner, is actually look at one of the traditional tools alongside academic performance, which is the universities and colleges application service form, what we call in the UK the UCAS form. Okay, can you tell those listeners who aren't in the UK a bit more about that yeah. particular form? We, I think it's fairly universal that people are struggling with trying to get good measurement or good assessment of both the academic and the non-academic side, but the non-academic side is particularly variable in how people go about doing that. Yes, applications for tertiary education in the UK to universities, all applicants fill out a UCAS form, but for vocational courses such as medicine and dentistry, what's known as a personal statement where candidates write a few hundred words telling the selectors about themselves and why they think they would make a good doctor, why they want to apply to a certain course, is very important because it gives selectors an additional piece of information to try and decide what kind of candidate you would like to choose for your course. The journals, the research body, has raised concerns about the UCAS forms, the personal statement because have the candidates themselves written the statements and the accuracy of the statements, Um, How do you assess these statements? And alongside the personal statement from the candidate, the UCAS form also details an academic reference from the institution that the candidate is applying from. So in the UK, the majority of applicants for a medical undergraduate degree program are still school leavers. Um, So usually the reference comes from somebody, a tutor or a headmaster at school, for example. And what information does this reference add to the process and how reliable is it? So our paper looked at one particular school and how the UCAS forms were used um, to select candidates for the next stage of selection examination, which is a traditional 15 to 20 minute interview. Right. I recall a study a few years ago on the UCAS forms that got some press even over here in Canada. 
they had submitted something like 50,000 of these things to a computer package and looked at the yeah. extent of overlap. And it was pretty clear that the egregious cheating, for lack of a better word, was a small minority of the population, but still large yeah. enough that one would be concerned about it. I think something like 3% of the individuals had told the same story about lighting their pajamas on fire when they were eight years old and yeah. <laughs> adopting others' autobiographies. Yeah. Your focus in this particular... Mean, Sorry, go ahead. I mean, as a, as a very sort of pragmatic admissions tutor, um, my concerns weren't so much necessarily that the personal statements were plagiarized or were even falsified. I think that is a very small number, really. It's just about the reliability and the validity of the personal statements, which actually concerns me most. So we would have over a thousand candidates that we would want to read their personal statements if you're using them. You know, what is the difference between one personal statement to the next? How do you judge what is a good personal statement? Aside from all the concerns that we've just touched on about whether they're accurate and reliable and the candidate themselves has written them. And if you then decide how you're going to judge the personal statement, how do you ensure that one person judges it as equally as reliably as another selector judges it? And I don't think that has been particularly looked at in any kind of depth before in a research paper. So what we wanted to do was to get our selectors, we call the people who read the personal statements and make decisions about candidates, whether to invite them for interview or not. We wanted to get our selectors together to discuss with them, you know, how do you make these difficult decisions then? You read the personal statement, they all pretty much read the same sometimes. Mm -hmm. Maybe one sticks out in your mind. Why does it stick out in your mind? What are the things that you're looking for when you read the personal statement? And I think one of the interesting things is, for example, in the UK, we put a lot of emphasis on um, medical applicants having done a period of medical-related work experience. Now, you can tell selectors to look out for that kind of criteria in a personal statement, but is it actually that that they're doing when they're reading the personal statement? And by fortunately presenting an opportunity for selectors to talk to each other in a non-threatening environment, I felt that we actually got to the nub of the matter, actually, what is it that selectors are looking for when they read the personal statements of candidates, and how do they make those very difficult decisions about which candidates to invite for interview or not? That was the piece that really intrigued me about your study, and now I'm excited to have it in medical education, is many would have stopped at, are the judgments or are the ratings reliable, and are people giving uh, mm. similar ratings of the candidates, whereas you've clearly delved a bit deeper into the underlying reasoning or the arguments that the individuals make for the decisions that they were offering. I realize there are many findings in your paper, but yeah. can you summarize the key ones for us? Yes, I'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean, I think I came at this as, as being rather a skeptic. I thought probably that selectors would do their own thing and it would be very difficult to standardize what selectors did. But certainly the 17 that we interviewed during our focus groups very much at least did what they said they were doing. So what we did was we asked them during focus groups what their practice was, what kind of criteria they were looking for, what emphasis, for example, did they place on their work experience, how much emphasis did they place on the reference which I've described each candidate has to present from their place of study. And then we looked at what we call a rejection form. 
So if selectors were saying that they didn't want to interview a certain number of applicants, they have to record why that is. And what we found was that there was an association, a correlation, if you like, between what selectors were saying at their focus group interviews and what actually they had recorded down on their rejection forms. And the reasons for rejecting candidates were the same, and primarily they were that they were not impressed with the work experience that candidates described in their personal statements, either the amount of work experience or rather more frequently the way that the candidate had described the work experience in as much as it was just rather descriptive rather than what they had learnt from it and that it had given them very little additional insight into what a medical career might entail. And they did pay attention to the reference from the academic institution that the student is applying from. So if the person giving the reference made some reservations about the candidate or if they felt that the reference wasn't as warm, then that was a reason for rejecting the candidate. And they did go on to talk about that in the focus groups because that is quite a subjective decision to make. And, of course, as you say, that raises all the concerns about the reliability of, of such a process. Yeah, the, the triangulation was a, a very clear strength of your method. I'm going to try to wrap up the interview now by asking you to reflect on this and the broader program of research that you've engaged in. You're in some ways in a very fortunate position now of being the former Associate Dean of Admissions in that you can really divorce yourself a little bit from the challenges of the actual day-to-day process of mounting the admissions process, but I wonder what advice you would give to those who are still in those roles and what you think are some of the key strategies that might overcome some of the variability and the challenges that you've noticed? Well, interestingly enough, I spent the morning this morning interviewing um, applicants, so I... Oh, is that right? That's so separate separate as as one could hope. Right. Um, But I think what I've learned, and I guess it's twofold, one, it's from my experience of being within... I'm still very heavily involved in selecting um, medical students. But having done the research as well, I feel quite strongly how the personal statements and the information from the reference should be used. And I think it should be very much used in conjunction with other selection material. So you cannot make a yes-no decision, really, just simply based on a candidate's personal statement and, and the teaching reference. Yes, by all means, use it within an interview situation to ask questions. They get the candidate to expand and illustrate and add to the information. Maybe actually confirm the information that you've got in front of you is is correct. But I don't think you can make yes-no decisions about their future training and career opportunities just based on a very short personal statement and a reference which perhaps has been written in such a way as to encourage people to take the student on to the next stage of selection because, of course, the reference is written sometimes with, you know, it's difficult to make it objective, really. Mm-hmm. You've, I think, just summarized beautifully the movement that I've been watching in the admissions world over the past 5, 10, 15 years where it does seem like more and more places and people are starting to appreciate the notion that the admissions process is an assessment process and many of the principles that have become well established in the assessment world are starting to be thought through in terms of how they can better inform our admissions decisions as well. Yeah, I think it 
admissions or selection is an extremely exciting area to be working in medical education. And when I first started going to conferences, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, you'd have a few abstracts and paper on selection, whereas now you probably have a whole theme on medical and dental selection. And I find that very exciting. Of course, it's such high stakes as well. It's high stakes for the students who apply, it's high stakes for the staff who have to train them and for the patients that we treat. And I think that's why we need to remember how it's so important. I couldn't agree more. And you've made a big contribution to that uh, transition and to the world of admissions in general. So I'll thank you for this paper and and congratulate you on some very interesting work and look forward to hearing and reading about how you follow up on it. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Sandra.